Well, it is such a lovely presence, isn't it? I was thinking we could just sit here and we would hardly need anything else. God's just precious. Could we pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your presence and your anointing. Thank you for just moving in stillness over our soul, for making our soul healthy, for building hope in us from the Spirit, for lifting our eyes to see new possibilities, and imparting your faith into our spirit so that we can reach for them. Father, you've been a wonderful father to us, training us, discipling us, mentoring us. Let tonight, God, be a very valuable night as we gather in your word and we talk together about things that you've shown us and taught us over the years. And God, we want to honor you. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful, wonderful job you did. But every session has been just wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be with Pastor Mike and Joy and, and Mike, who's come down from Auckland. It's just been wonderful to be in your home and just talk about things of God and all stuff like that and to live in the atmosphere of your home and to be in this church where there's such a good atmosphere of God. Wherever you live, it's worth the drive to come here. To be in a good church is a huge deal where you're, you're built up in the Spirit and you don't just get the letter of the Word, but the Spirit of God comes into you as and that's just wonderful. The family that you're born into has a very powerful influence on your expectations for where you'll get to in life. For your family that you're born into model life for you. They show you what a father is like and what a mother's like, either good, bad, or medium. So the church you attend, if you attend a church regularly, makes a big influence on your life. Your peer group, your school, all these things make a huge influence. If you're born into a family that, that has never seen the possibilities of, of doing well, then your expectation is most likely somewhat limited unless you break out of that mold. If you're born into a family that has done well and you grow up with that, then you'll tend to expect that standard of living and you'll reach for it because you've seen it modeled. So the family we're born into, while it does not limit us, 
We are the only ones who can limit ourselves. But it does greatly affect us. And if we're born or grow up in a powerless church, that raises a ceiling over our lives. And we, if we went out to plant another church, we would plant a church like the one we've grown up in because that's what we know, a powerless church. If you're born in a church of power and you grow up in a church of power, you're reaching to God for power to be on you. And you'll go out to move in power. So the church you attend is incredibly important. The church you bring up your young people in is very important. It's important that they get where they can see the supernatural of God. Just recently our teenagers were at a Jesus Culture Conference, one that Bill Johnson's youth runs. And there they, they were greatly impacted and they were pretty fiery for God at the start. And they went out and went into shopping centers, going up to people saying, excuse me, may I pray for you? I'm a Christian. Are you sick or got any needs that I can pray for you? The majority of people told them they didn't want them to pray for them. It didn't seem to affect our teenagers one whit. They just headed for the next one. They didn't waste any more time on that one. They looked for the next one. And I guess three to one said no. And that still didn't affect them. They were looking for the one. And one girl, 15 years old, found this man who had a very painful arm. So she prayed and asked him now, how's your arm now? He said, it's still painful. This was in the middle of a uh, Westfield shopping center. People everywhere. So she prayed again. How is it now? He said, it's still painful. So she prayed again. How is it now? Still painful. She said, we're going to pray again and this time the power of God is going to heal you. Are you ready for that? <laughs> She's 15. So she prayed again and all the trouble left him. And then she led him to Christ. What a wonderful thing to have a church where people are reaching out for the miraculous. That they're not content with what they can do in their humanity. But they want that clothing of God to come on them. These kids, many of them, not all of them, but many of them, would rather have a night of praying than most anything. We've had several parents ring up the church office and complain that they can't stop their teenagers praying and reading the Bible and their homework is suffering. True. I have said, you're fortunate. They could be out doing drugs, getting into mischief, all sorts of stuff, getting drunk. They're wanting to seek the Lord God of Israel. To have a church that moves in power, as this church does, is a very powerful thing. But none of us, certainly me, speak for myself, have really tapped in to the mighty power of God that was in the book of Acts. I'd like to read you a few verses 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, Paul's writing this, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. Paul was the first Christian to arrive there. It was early on in the Christian faith. It was a large city. It was on the trade routes of the known world. And people from every culture had moved there. <clears throat> it was a, a city given over to debauchery. And the main religion of Corinth was the fertility cult religion, where thousands of prostitutes were there. <clears throat> Farmers, to make their land prosperous, would go and be with those prostitutes, and, and according to their religion, <clears throat> that would give them a better crop. So sexual uh, transmitted diseases were everywhere. The city was just given over to no morals and was a bad place. Paul arrived. It was a large city with a little band of Christians. Just a little band. And they stood up there. No big advertising for a campaign like a Billy Graham crusade or anything. Paul just arrived making tents so he could eat, selling them and make some money. And he came in the power of the Spirit. The professors I studied under at university said that according to them, there was a church of approximately 140,000 people when he left 18 months later. That's a large church in anybody's language. No buses. They didn't have a New Testament. It was still being written. They didn't have any Christian literature to leave behind. The Gospel of Mark had been written, but however, it wasn't published like they didn't have printing presses to publish it like we have. Then he went up around Asia Minor and around all that area, Iconium, Derbe, Lystra. And they stoned him and left him for dead in one place. He'd only been there about three weeks. But he wasn't dead and he woke up from unconsciousness and he crawled back into the city and encouraged the few Christians that he'd got together there. And then he headed off for the next town, bloodied and bruised and started to preach there. And the Jews that had stoned him followed him because it was just the next town. And they drove him out of there. And he went to the next town, a couple of days' walk away, still sore from the first one, and he started to preach again. The church of the New Testament was determined, powerful, focused. What it cost them wasn't the question. Though already, Paul said, why, why do you talk to me like this? about getting bound in Jerusalem. 
I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die for Jesus in Jerusalem. Not a problem. I had something. I had something. They looked for God. I tell you what, you'd pray if you were going to get up and preach in Corinth. You wouldn't have to just pray and yawn for half an hour. Your life depended on it. The thing that's driven me to God over the years is I've always been out of my depth. And when you're out of your depth, only God can help you. It makes me pray. It's made me seek God. I've needed faith. So I've had to go reach out for it. If you're bored with Christianity, get out of the boat. You'll get excited. Standing on the water, sinking, swimming, rising up to the surface and yelling help. But somewhere or other, you won't be bored. Decide you're going to witness to five people this coming week and share your faith. Make a decision in your heart. I will pray for three sick people this week. I'll keep you praying. You young fellows here, most likely on to high school, university or something. Make a decision. You'll talk to a few people about Christ. Some of them might have a go at you. But you're not made of jelly, you're okay. Doesn't matter. Done heaps of it. So if you will step out of the boat, then you need God. If you have a comfortable Christian lifestyle, you don't really need Him that much. You just need Him to sort of keep you poking along. But if you get out of the boat to do the impossible, that'll make you pray. That'll make you seek God. That's what happened in these early people. Their Christian faith was life or death. They prayed. They sought God. But they were a people of power, which I'd like to talk about. Well, Paul was born into this early Christian church who didn't know anything except miracles. It's taken the modern Christian church not to have miracles. Until the modern era, like, well, it started a fair way back, the Dark Ages, there was only miracles. This book is a book of miracles. You can't find anything that's not miracles in this book. The very first words, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. That's not a bad miracle. <laughs> Very good one. That's the first five, six words of the Bible. And at the end of the Bible, and said, and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. That's not a bad miracle. There the book ends. And in between, it's full of miracles. Truly, truly. Amazing miracles. The God of the Bible. And some time ago, I thought of that. The God of the Bible. Or the God of the modern day church. I thought there's a big difference. What God do you worship? Very comfortable God? Well, the God of the... Look at the miracles. Like the miracles. Make an ark and float in the water. All the animals came in two by two. That's not a bad miracle. Pretty good one. And then God shut the door. And the flood started. 
He said, it's going to rain. They'd never seen rain. A mist went up from the earth and watered the earth. What's rain? Haven't got a clue. Build this ark. Build it for years. All sorts of things. Said to Moses, go back down there to Egypt and bring the slaves out. All the Israelites. Around about three million of them. Different scholars put a different figure on it. But there's 600,000 men of war. We know that figure. And the number is worked out on that. There's 600,000 men of war. There's got to be 600,000 mums there, I guess, or a lot of mums anyhow, three, 400,000 mums, and a lot of kids and a lot of old people too frail. And so you work out how many you think it was. It couldn't have been less than two and a half million. Somewhere three. That's a lot of people. They had 400 years of slavery. They knew nothing except slavery. They had a mentality of slavery. You talk about coming from a troubled home, maybe, and having a mentality like that. These people had 400 years of culture of slavery where there was a nobody and given more straw and all that stuff. It had to affect their thinking. And then God said, come with me and I'll lead you to the promised land. It's going to be wonderful. And he led them to the jolly Red Sea. He must have forgot where he put it. <laughs> have you ever followed a word from God and got into trouble? <laughs> and said, well, it wasn't a word from God. It was a jolly false prophet or something. What's wrong? God told me to do this. He told them to go there too and they hit the Red Sea. And then the Egyptian army, army come up behind them to wipe them out. All they were doing was following this supernatural cloud. My goodness me. I've heard people say, if it's God, it'll be easy. I don't think they've ever read the Bible. It wasn't always easy there. Tell Moses that. It'll be easy, Moses. Manna come down out of heaven. They get over the Red Sea and everybody's happy. Before they crossed the Red Sea, they all wanted to kill Moses. They said, we'll stone you. That's a good idea. Kill him. <laughs> Let's kill him. And go back and be slaves again. But then God opened the Red Sea for them through Moses. That's a pretty big miracle. Have you ever thought about it? In your imagination, have you ever walked through that Red Sea and saw those walls of water? Huge, man. And you're taking your grandma and your little kids and toddlers. You go across the sea a long way. And these walls of water, what were they? I don't know. 200 foot high. I think as they were crossing, a little boy saw a mullet. His head was stuck through and it cut off. He said, Dad, look, a fish. Dad said, don't you pull that thing out of there, boy. It'll leak. <laughs> What an amazing thing. And then when they all got across the other side, take a fair while for two and a half, three million people across the sea. Wasn't a little tiny miracle. Wasn't a crowd like this. This was, this was the size of New Zealand. The population of New Zealand. How would you like to lead them for 40 years through the desert? The whole of the Kiwi population. Everybody would be positive, wouldn't they? 
You wouldn't find a kiwi to whinge or groan, would you? No, no. Kiwis are excellent, absolutely. You wouldn't find a murmuring amongst you, would you? Not at all. Not the, your whole nation on the move through the desert. No water, no food. You're leading them out. Everybody would be confident in you, wouldn't they? <laughs> How would you like God to have picked you up and given you that job? Hmm? What a job. Miracles. The whole book's miracles. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that they even followed him. And then there was not one feeble one among all their tribes. That was a healing meeting. That was happened at the Passover. Incredible. Old grandma lost a lumbago and the granddad lost his gout. And they headed off, got sprightly. Healed them. Past childbearing age, another bunch of kids arrived. <laughs> All healed. Clothes never wore out. That's not a bad miracle. Three million dresses. Never wore out for 40 years. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> There was no big shops for them to go to. Their shoes didn't wear out. Amazing. Miracles, this book's full of them. That's the Old Testament. We have a better covenant. Incredible how the church is content to dwell where it dwells. That's the amazing thing to me. For this is their, everybody's Bible. There is no other Bible. This is it. Amazing. It's an incredible book. It's a marvelous book. The God of the Bible. Is the God of the Bible that does stuff like that? Is that the God you draw on? Or do you say your prayers? Or do you only say your prayers occasionally? When you just read a verse or two every now and again? How do you follow? This God, the God that wrote this book. And it's all a history of people. God didn't choose to write a dry theological book. God picked up individuals and their family and then their tribes. And he showed us how they went to a nation. And sometimes they obeyed him and he moved on their behalf. Other times they disobeyed him and they went into captivity. Then they cried out to him and he raised them up again. And you discover God by how he walked with people. Marvelous book. And yet when I studied, I learned theology. And of course you can get theology out of this. But God walked with living, breathing people who had all the troubles in the world. And he loved them. And he took them out. He made them wealthy. Then they just said, we don't need you anymore. So they got into a mess. And then go and rescue them and raise up somebody. Amazing book. It's an amazing book. And if you read it like that, you start to discover God. And you can build a relationship with the God of the Bible. If you and I pursue Him, if we truly pursue Him, we will find a cloud of miracles of that 
I am fully convinced. It's not a sudden dramatic thing like the day of Pentecost, perhaps. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it might be a seeking after, a praying, a longing for. You know, Mark 11 says, whatsoever things you desire. That word desire could be translated this. Whatever never really leaves your mind. That that you come back to and think about again and again and again and again. Could be a brand new car. But it's a pretty lousy desire if that's all it is. Or it could be that the cloud of God will descend over my life and it will affect a nation. It could be that. That which never really leaves your mind. Jesus said, whatsoever. That's a big word, whatsoever. Whatsoever things, things, things. New Zealand for Christ. Pakistan, turn for Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims saved. Whatsoever, 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 whatsoever things you desire that will never really leave your mind. If you believe that you receive them, you shall have them. The Son of God said that. So I can stake my life on it. He didn't say how quick it would be or how long it would take. He just said, come follow me. And if I constantly see the God who put a power on a stick so that when he held it up, the waters parted, then he could put that power on me, on you, on you, Steve, you, Tara, on you, and you. Whosoever, he says, that's got to be you. That's me. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, not your mind, your heart, but believe that those things he says will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever, he saith. That's got to have New Zealand for Christ included in that verse. It's got to. It's got to have your family saved included in that verse. If I will hold it, if I desire it, if I believe and I receive it, not once as a constant part of my life. I believe and I receive the mantles of God. The mantles that rested on people. Picked up Gideon. Like Gideon had to be one of the worst characters you could pick up. Negative. A whinger. A whiner. You'd think he was an Australian. <laughs> Here he was just hiding in the wine press, threshing a little bit of wheat. Leave me alone, God. If you make a noise, they'll find me and take all my wheat off me. Please, God, what did I do to deserve this visitation? Go away. And somehow God penetrated that negative individual and gave him a dream. And instead of living a negative, self-centered, 
fearful, confined life. He became great. And he walked with the Almighty God. Anybody can do that. It'll cost you your negativity, those thought forms, the emotional whinging pleasure you get out of it. It'll cost you all that pleasure. Anybody here at Windsor? You don't need to put up your hand. But <laughs> if you're a Windsor, you're a good candidate for God. He'll turn you into a person of faith. Join Gideon's army. How would you like to have been Gideon? He blew a trumpet, the Bible says. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. You think, wow, something's going to happen now. Next verse is he blew a trumpet. Well, <laughs> it's a bit deflating. But then it tells you a few verses later that 32,000 people gathered to him. That was a powerful trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. He blew a trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord will come on you and crowds will gather. Same deal. If the Spirit of the Lord comes on you, that's the key to everything. That the Spirit of the Lord will come on you. But what's the other things you desire? I desire the Spirit of the Lord to come upon me. What's the other things you desire? When you pray, believe you receive them. I believe the Spirit of the Lord will come upon me. And you shall have them. And I do it over and over for the next 50 years. I believe that a greater measure of the Spirit of the Lord will come upon me. So you will, you'll blow a trumpet, whatever your trumpet might be. But it'll be a different sound now. Something miraculous. This Bible is stacked with miracles. You can hardly find a few chapters in a row without miracles. How come we've got a miracle-less church? How come when this is our Bible. Are you being discipled by the God of the Bible? Is the God of the Bible your God? Paul came and in verse 3 he said, he faced Corinth. Huge. Boy, I tell you what, if I had to go and face Corinth, I would have been like Paul and felt inadequate and ill-prepared. He said, I was with you in weakness, in his humanity. I can't do this. In fear. I'm just scared. I've been stoned. I've been beaten with rods. I've been everything. I've been jailed. And here I am again, God. And this city is truly wicked. It's huge. It's ungodly. Nobody, not a soul in the city knows you. And here I am. If he'd have stopped and thought like that for long, he too could have tucked his tail between his legs and went on his way. But he knew something. He said, though I was with you in this, in my humanity... I didn't stay in my humanity. I got out of myself and I reached into that mighty anointing of God that's been on my life and I felt it come over me. Your pastor would have felt it. I have felt it. I've been dead scared, spitless almost sometimes, going into towns to start churches and into tough places to preach and whatever. 
Sure I have. But wherever I've been successful, I have got out of myself and reached into that anointing that God's put over my life, whether I could feel it there or not at that particular moment. And out of that anointing, you start to do things and the supernatural will start to happen for you. So, are you being discipled by the God of the Bible? Are you reaching for that miracle God? It's the only God there is. The rest are demons. He's the only God. He's the only one. Like our, our churches, Christianity was born through God going to the cross. That's a miracle. Twelve legions of angels ready to rescue him and he never asked for him. That's another miracle. The bloke on the cross, he forgives him, says, today you'll be in paradise. He dies, goes to Hades, takes the keys of death and hell. That's a pretty good miracle. He rises from the dead. That's a powerful miracle. Then he appears before them for 40 days off and on. That's a miracle. And then he said, tarry in Jerusalem. You'll be endured with power from on high. And then there was a mighty wind filled the upper room. That's a miracle. Tongues of fire came and sat on those early people. That's a miracle. Then they all got drunk. That's another miracle. And then they spoke in languages they'd never learned. That's another miracle. And the Christian church was born. If that happened in a lot of Christian churches today, they'd run for the psychiatrist. It was a mess. It looked like chaos, but God thought it was decent and in order. I wonder how the Christian church got from Acts 2-4 to 2010. Like a vast part of the church. This church moves in the power of God. But there isn't one of us in this room who couldn't move in more. More power. Greater dimension. Lead me into areas I don't even know exist. Areas of supernatural dimension. I wonder what could happen if a people of power. God doesn't need many. He's never used crowds. He, he uses a minority. A minority's always won the day. You and God make a majority anywhere, anyhow, anytime. Absolutely. That's all you need. Just you and God. If you're ready to get out there and trust him when it looks like you're finished and you still rise up in your spirit and say, God, I trust you. Somehow or other, God loves the midnight hour. At times I thought it's been 10 minutes past midnight, but God's clock said it was still one minute too. <laughs> hmm. It seems like that at times. You can get scary at times, but God's not scared. He knows he's going to fix it up. I've often said, God, it's all right for you. You know the end. But in me, I'm, I'm down here. They're looking at me. <laughs> Poor me. <laughs> Usually hasn't been God's character I've worried about. It's been my reputation, you know. Big me. Poor me. <laughs> Anybody here good at throwing a pity party for themselves? <laughs> Anybody? You ever thrown one? Was it a real blessing to you? Anybody ever thrown two pity parties? Anybody? One person? Two people? Did the second one really bless you? 
Anybody ever thrown three? Hmm? If the first two didn't bless you, why did you throw three? Except I've most likely thrown 53. And we still don't get the message. They don't help me at all. Faith helps me. Believe in God helps me. To discipline myself so that when I'm in a tight spot, I reach for God. That's the secret that I've had to learn and I'm still learning and I'll most likely learn to the day I pass away. They witnessed Jesus' ministry and, and Anne and I have often said to each other, God is an amazing person. He can put such a huge amount into one sentence. And when Peter was summing up Jesus' ministry to Cornelius, he said how Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Summed it up. Like it takes God to sum up something like that. You sum up all of Christ's ministry in one sentence. There it is. Gave a praise. Amazing person God is. Amazing person. They carried on his work, destroying the works of the devil. That's our commission. It's yours, it's mine. It is not just a pastor's commission, it's everybody's commission. It's the church's commission. And it's a false thing that the pastor does all this stuff and the people don't. And I'm sure here you do it. But I just want to stir the fire up. Yes. Do it more. Do it more. It's a marvelous thing when you get there. Sometimes scary, sometimes wonderful. If you have a great meeting, you go home, wow, God, you're wonderful. Have a tough meeting, oh God, oh God, I've got to be back there tomorrow. Lord, bless me, oh God. All this stuff you go through. It's wonderful. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the early church. Verses 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. It wasn't that long ago that he was denying that he even knew Jesus as he hung on the cross. Wasn't long ago. So if you're a Christ denier, you're a good candidate for God. He swore and blasphemed the name of Jesus. If you've done that, you're a good candidate. If you go to a building site and you work there and you swear and talk filthy talk, you're a good candidate for God. Make a good deacon. Clean your mouth up. Make a good deacon. Absolutely. Peter was like that. He was a fisherman, him, James, and John. I don't know what the fishermen were like those days, but I know Australian fishermen, they have a fight as quick as a feed. You touch their crab pot and see how you get on. They put a bullet across your ship, touch it twice and it might go through you. A tough breed, fishermen. And Peter and James and John, Jesus gave them a nickname. Sons of thunder. 
You don't get a nickname like that through being a nice little Sunday school boy. <laughs> if they were around today, they'd come into church on a Harley, revving her up and on its back wheel, <laughs> gurgling away, shove a crowbar up the exhaust to make a burble a bit more. They were sons of thunder. But Jesus made John, when he finished with him, the apostle of love. Who is this Christ that we serve? John, at the Last Supper, laid his head on Jesus' breast. It was a Mideastern custom. I'm glad that custom didn't hit Australia. I think it would be extremely embarrassing. <laughs> However, thank God some customs die out. You know. But that's what he did, because that's what they did. But when Jesus rose from the dead, when he rose from the dead and John saw him in Revelation chapter 1 and his words failed him to really adequately describe this Christ he now saw. He fell at his feet like a dead man. He wouldn't find him laying his head on his chest anymore. <laughs> Which Jesus do you worship? The one who went to the cross or the one who now is in his resurrected glory? Which one is discipling you? Do you let that glorified Christ, for that's who He is, that Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords that angels worship, is He the one you worship? Or is it gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that you worship? Now, is He a different Jesus? No, same Jesus. There He was in His humanity now he's in his divinity. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's accomplished our redemption. As he is, so are we in this world. Not as he was. As he is. I think it's 1 John 4, 17, I think from memory. Somewhere there anyhow. As he is. Who is he? If I could catch if he could let me have a good glimpse of him, I think I'd be changed forever. So, I'm saying that it's a church of power and you and I are potentially the amazing people when we draw down over ourselves the power of God. Also a great multitude gathered in the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who are tormented by unclean spirits. Man, what a mixed multitude that was. That's a church meeting now. The deacons would be kept busy that day, handling mad people and crazy people and people that they had on chains that they'd usually locked up on a tree or something and barking like dogs and maniacal. If you've ever been in very poor countries where they tie up the insane and that you, you've seen them that would be a bit like it'd be like and sort of on all fours all sorts of ways they would have come and there's Jesus what if you were the minister on that occasion I wonder what Mike Connell would have done well he would have said boy this is fun <laughs> let me at him I need him to lay hands on me 
an amazing thing. This book is all miracles. Do you worship the God of the Bible? This God of the Bible, the Egyptians tried to follow him through the Red Sea. And the Almighty came down and took off the chariot wheels. Is that your God? This God takes off chariot wheels. He is holy. When you worship the holy God, have you ever had a picture of him taking off the chariot wheels so they all ground to a halt and they couldn't drive them anymore? And then he said, now, clapped his hands and the waters came together. And the superpower of the world was no more. So what have you and I got against us? Anything? They had the superpower of the world. Now this book's all miracles, all miracles. There is no part of this book that's not miracles. It's all miracles. This is our God. So I noticed that Jesus was reasonably strong sometimes. He called the Pharisees, you vipers brood. You hide dead men's bones. and A few other pleasant comments he made to them. And one of them said, Master, don't you know that you're offending them? Today in the modern church, it seems like we don't offend anybody. We are so nice. But Paul came in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. He changed an entire society. I don't know if the figure's true or not, but I was told there's 140,000 in the church. When you all come together in one place, he's talking about 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Then this sort of order has to take place. Big crowd, you all come together in one place. It's an amazing book, the Bible. It's an amazing book. If you actually let it come alive to you while you read it with the Holy Ghost, it's not just words on a page, but these are people. You know, these they are people. One time David was going out to fight the Philistines, which he always seems to be doing, until he wiped them out but, or conquered them. But they were going out, and they, they were too many for him. So God said, I'll fight for you. He sent a hailstorm down. And more were killed by God's hail than David's men. So what problem have you got that the God of the Bible couldn't solve? Have you got something more than the Philistines' army? They were tough men. They were like, like land pirates they were. They'd go and raid a place, rape the land, rape the women, take what they wanted and go home with the wealth of the city, take the gold, the silver. They were raiders, nasty people. If you had them coming against you, the city of Hastings, and their only hope was God. Have you got a God who could hail down hailstones on your behalf? Are you that important to him in your estimation? Truly? Really and truly? I, I hope you are. Like, I have to ask myself that question. Do I believe I'm that important to God that he would do something like that for me? I'd have to say, I wonder. Or do I have to con 
work with myself like we were talking about this afternoon a bit more. You, you and I are our own biggest projects. Well, I just wanted to talk about that tonight. You know, that would be my kind of church, that church of Book of Acts. I would have loved to have been born into it, that sort of power. Had it modelled for me. So I could see Peter's shadow passing over people. I would have liked to have a go at that. It would have been fun. I've read about the teenagers in Azusa Street. I've got a little book about what they said about it. I was reading some out to your pastor last night. These teenagers used to run to be the first to get to anybody in a wheelchair or on crutches or was carried in on a stretcher so they could be the first to get them healed. They were so enthusiastic. And somehow we've lost it. But Jude says, for us to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. In Genesis you read that Isaac dug again the wells that his father Abraham had dug that the Philistines had filled in. And somehow over the centuries the church has filled in the miraculous. And we have to dig again the wells and take the rubbish out of our heads and all the lies out of our heads about God and have another look at God. That God, let God arise from the pages of the book and then seek Him. If you say, well, why aren't we doing it now? Well, I say, well, why aren't you? Well, give us a bit of time. We are digging again the wells. If we can leave a heritage to the next generation, They'll rise up. If it takes the rest of my life to find what I'm talking about. If I didn't quite find it, but I had my teenagers so convinced that they could find it, and they found it. Life has been worth everything. If they were walking, if this young couple here walk into Pakistan and see the power of God fall and thousands and thousands of Muslims saved, how many terrorists will be in those people getting saved? What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. We can change the world. We really can. I don't know who you could be if you really poured yourself into God and His power came on you. I know who I am without the power of God. But I don't yet know who I can be because I don't yet know how much of the power I can find before I go on home. I wish I was your age again, but I'd want to know what I know now. I don't want to do it through it again. <laughs> Once through is enough. But if I could be that age again, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't mind another crack at it. I'd do a better job. Otherwise, I'm happy the Scripture says it's given unto man once to die. So if you think you're coming back as a frog, you're not. <laughs> you're not. It's given unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Wow. Wow. It's going to be fun. Scary, but fun. Yes. Yeah.
It says every idle word that we speak will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. How scary. Only those that the blood of Christ has covered. It will all be blank. In my book of my life, I've got a mob of blank pages. The blood of Jesus is covered. And they'll never be read out in glory. But my name is written down in glory. And it's mine. And one day when I stand there, a recording angel will say, Clark Taylor has come home. It will be the sweetest sound I have ever heard. And I endeavor to live in the light of eternity. Do you? Do you think much about eternity? Hang, a lot of us here, another 50 years, it'll all be over. That's not long. Heck, it's nearly the end of March already, and it was only Christmas two days ago. <laughs> this year's going fast. These young things think it takes forever to get Christmas, you know. When you get to my age, yeah, and you barely wash up from one and you're getting ready for the next one. <laughs> so, the people of power. I wonder what would happen if you could conceive the mantle of God coming over you. I wonder what would happen. Would you do it? I wonder would you close your eyes with me? And could you let ask the Holy Spirit to picture for you or to help you visualize a cloud of the presence and power of God above you? And could you, in Jesus' name, let that mantle of God come down and settle over your shoulders? Would you have the faith to actually do that just now? Holy Spirit, let the power come down. Would you ask the Holy Spirit this question? What would I be like if I was filled with your power and boldness? If I had supernatural boldness and I wasn't afraid who would I pray for? If this supernatural power came on me and I saw somebody that was in great pain, how would I feel if I prayed for them and they said, my God, it's gone. The pain is gone. What sort of feelings would go through you with heads bowed and eyes closed? Some of you would have felt the feeling or a word that describes it, would you call them out with a loud voice, please? What would you feel like if you prayed on the streets in a restaurant and it went away? Would you feel anything? Excited. Somebody said something? Overjoyed. Overthrilled. Out of this world, sorry. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be a great feeling? 
Don't you think it would be worth having a crack at it? God, fill me with power. If you could sense. Now, you may not be able to sense. I understand that. Some of you, many of you can. But you may not be able to sense the presence of God around you. But if you could, what would it be like? Who would tell me? Amazing. Beautiful. Beautiful. Somebody else. Wow. Somebody else. If you could feel it, what would it feel like? Absolutely. If you could live with a sense of the presence around you all the time, what would that be like? Be empowering, wouldn't it? It would make you into a different person, wouldn't it? It would take the limits off your life, wouldn't it? But the Bible does say, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. But I don't always feel him near me. Oh, but if you learn how to ask the question of the Spirit, Lord, I can't feel you just now, but what would it be like if I could feel you? And a word will drift up from the Spirit. Why did it feel incredible? Then I want to let that incredible feeling, that sense of awe, that sense of strength and power. I want it to fill me, to own me, to fill my brain, to fill my emotions. Lord, what would it be like? Ask yourself, ask the Spirit this question. What would it be like if the love of God filled my emotions? What would that feel like if your love rose up from the Spirit and filled me. Somebody sing out the word, please. Awesome. Let yourself feel it. Somebody else. Did you really do it? Did you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what would it feel like if I was filled with the love of God and have a faint word just come up to you into your consciousness of some sort? What words come up? Yes. Yes. Joy. Love. Hope. Would you give yourself to these words? Every word has got an emotion attached to it. Would you allow the emotions of it just to fill your soul? Your soul is your mind, emotions, personality, and will. God has come into your spirit. Your spirit's all right. It's my emotions. The Word of God is perfect, converting my soul. My soul needs converting. I do this sort of stuff at home pretty much every day of my life. I spend some time doing this sort of thing. For I want my emotions affected by the Holy Spirit. If my mind is giving me trouble, which it used to a lot and seldom does now, I will say to it, I know at this moment I cannot feel the power of God. Now my mind will accept it. My mind will let me daydream anything. And so will yours. But if I could feel the power of God, what would it feel like? And instantly I get a sense 
And I live with that sense and encourage that sense of power around my life. The mantle of God, I encourage it around me. Somebody might say, Clark, you're just doing it to yourself. No, I'm just entering into really reality. For the Holy Spirit is power. I don't doubt it. So I can enter into the sense of His power. I don't doubt it. And I know the effect that it's had on my life. If you would experiment with this, give it a go. Try it. Doing just what we've said tonight, you would find it would affect your life dramatically. Wonderful Jesus. So there we are. Tomorrow morning I'm going to take a different subject and go a different way for tomorrow. So I would like, and I felt God tonight was going to heal some very deep emotional things in people's lives. And if you've already been healed of these things, please don't stir them up again, just leave them there. Uh, but, but if you haven't, and the first thing he told me that he was going to do is he was going to take deep-seated fear out of some people. And that, that's that deep-seated thing. Like fear dogs your life. You just get afraid. Because of something that happened back in the past. So for those of you that suffer with this terrible fear, would you like just to stand to your feet, come on down the front, and I believe Jesus will deliver you tonight. Would you come? Would you come? That's the way. That's the way. Just come on. Come on up close to the front here so there's plenty of room. Just that deep-seated things. <clears throat> just deep-seated fear just come towards the front. That fear just comes up and stops you. Just stops you. Just stops you. Holy Spirit of God, granted we can just move in your knowledge and your wisdom and in your power. And we ask that your power would settle over us here tonight so that we can work in the power of the Holy Spirit and do wonderful things. Pastor Mike, if you want to come and join me, please, this is your church and you just help yourself.